You can turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Give you a while to find it before we start reading from it. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Now some of my favorite clothing that Rachel doesn't let me wear outside of the house, away from the house, some of my favorite clothing is just covered with grease stains and oil stains, mustard stains, you name it. And I love it. It's not beautiful, I admit that. But I love it because it tells a story. It tells a story of, of where you've been and what you've been doing and how you cut your finger on the saw and you weren't supposed to and you wrapped it up in your shirt. <laughs> and it tells a story of where you are. By telling you where you've been. Same thing with our country. We have stains as we look back in our history. We have stains as does any country. We have stains that tells the story of who we are and where we have been. Entire economies have been built through slave labor. Forced labor. Entire cities in the past were built through slave labor. But it still goes on today in other countries, but even today, at this moment, I would say, if not our city, certainly within our state, someone is being forced into the sex trade to be abused and exploited and then discarded when they are no longer needed. As Christians, how do we respond to such evil in the world around us? What do we do? Do we turn a blind eye and wait for the kingdom to come? Do we grab signs and go to their property lines and picket them? Do we fill up some jars and have ourselves some off-top cocktails and start throwing them? Is that the answer? As Christians, what do we do? How do we respond to the evil that's in the world around us? First thing we do, open our Bibles. Let's turn to Amos chapter 5. You see the text here. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 down through 24. Amos writes, I hate I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let us pray indeed. God, it is it is through your world, your word that we can make sense of the world around us, God. And it's through your living word that we see the sin within our own hearts, God. And I pray that you would expose that to us that we would be left bare and clinging to the cross of Your Son. Dear God, could You save us? Save us from our sins through Your grace. This is our plea 
And this is our only hope is in your Son. Amen. Amen. As you guys know, we're going through the minor prophets. And as we look at them, it's easy to see them just as an angry God up in the sky who sees the sin of the people and he's going to come down and condemn it, judge it, and send the people into exile. And that's all we see in the minor prophets, which is why you skip over them and you don't read them because we have this perception of them. But it's it's much more than that. It, they're just not Hebraic hellfire and brimstones preachers. It's much more than that. These prophets are calling us, inviting us, encouraging us to live lives that are fully focused upon Christ and Christ alone. So are they telling the do people to put these sins aside? Yes, they are. But only so that they can see Christ and fix their eyes upon Christ. So when we just look at these, of course, of course we don't leave reading through the prophets when we think that that's all they are. But when we see, and I hope you're beginning to see, that they are calling you to a life that is focused on the Messiah. For them, the Messiah to come. For us, the Messiah who has come. And, again, the Messiah who is to come. They are inviting you into a life that is oriented around Christ, the coming Messiah. So with Hosea... We were called in to see the people to be living in their covenant faithfulness with God. And that their idolatry is as though they're cheating on their spouse, who is God. And in Joel, we're, we're seeing that the day of the Lord is in the past as he judged Egypt. It will be in the future, but to, the day of the Lord is right now. The call to repent for them, for you, is today. Today is the day of the Lord. And so with Amos, I'm going to try not to get fired after this sermon, but the Amos is about living the gospel out in the social realms. What does it look like for Christians to live the gospel out? And so first we're going to see the oppression that was going on in the, the days of Amos, and we're going to ask ourselves, one, why is it happening? Two, why is it evil? So we're going to see the, the oppression going on, and then finally we're going to see the response of God. What is He calling us to do? So in the end, you guys are inundated day after day, especially in these last five years, to fight for social justice. That is the battle cry of our society. It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. We don't fight for social justice. No, we love, we don't fight, we love for gospel justice. Not social justice. We want gospel justice. And we'll explain what that is. So let's go back to the text here. Verses 21 through 23. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. As many of you know uh, from Adam's Sunday School, Amos is a contemporary of Hosea. And he's a, a shepherd 
from the city of Tekoa. He, he's a shepherd and he's a, a fig tree farmer. Tekoa is it's right on the right on the, the the dividing line between the wilderness and the lush land. So in the wilderness, you send your sheep out where you can grow grass and nothing else. But when you can, you grow fruit. And so he's doing both. And so here is uh, Amos, and he's living in the days of Jeroboam II, this, this great king who's expanded the empire all the way up north to the entrance of uh, Hamath, all the way down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea. So all the way north again and all the way south. And you guys remember from two weeks ago, unprecedented political strength, economic strength. They're doing great. The other side of the coin is absolute decadent moral depravity. Perhaps you guys might be familiar with such a culture. So Amos is calling is called by God and he, he goes up to them and he goes, actually he's south of Jerusalem by 12 miles, goes, he would have gone past Jerusalem or through Jerusalem all the way up to the city of Bethel, which is Jeroboam I. He set up two cities so the people in the northern kingdom won't come back down south for their religious pilgrimages. They would just stay up in the north and so they wouldn't have their hearts turned back to God and join the southern kingdom. So he goes to this false temple that is in Bethel and he begins speaking out against them. And he has two main things that he's pressing against. One is their idolatry. Their idolatrous worship. And the second is their oppression. Their idolatry and their oppression. And in fact, they are inseparable. When you have one, when you have idolatry, you have oppression. 100% of the time. When you see oppression, look, there's the fire, there's the idolatry. They are, in fact, inseparable. So in the oppression that Amos is going against, it's quite startling. They are selling the poor and the needy into slavery. You see it in in chapter 2. He said, they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy, the needy, the poor, they sell them for a pair of sand. Economic success. Everything's going great. Well, look behind the curtain. You see the needy being sold into slavery for a pair of sandals. Great. Enjoy your success. Not only that, but the people who are oppressed and on the fringes of society, quite frankly, the people that churches are not very good at reaching today, they're kept on the margins. You see that later in, in chapter 2. It says, those who trample, Amos is decrying, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. Why? For what purpose? Well, just so that you can do it, basically. And turn aside the way of the humble. Or a better translation would be, to turn aside the way of the afflicted. And so there's a prescribed way, though. That what you do, you go to the gates and you receive justice, right? If you're poor... So now we go to the courts. They, they would go to the gate of the city where the elders of the city or the, the ruler of the city would be seated there. You can see this currently in the city of Dan up north. They excavated it. You have your gate. You have your, your stone there where the, the ruler of the city would be sitting and per, per, uh, judging over the people. So they go there. They go to the gate of the city. And Amos writes, Therefore, because you trample on the poor, 
and you exact taxes of grain from him, and you build houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of them. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy at the gate. So even when they are doing what they're supposed to do, when the poor are doing what they're supposed to do, they're not rioting in cities, they're not burning down buildings, they go, no, I will seek justice in the gate of the city. No, even then, they're turned aside. Stacked against them. And what's so evil about it is that they should have known better. Who were the oppressed ones in Egypt? It was the people of God. These very ones, centuries later, are now oppressing their own people. This is the evil. The Lord reminds them of it. He says, it was I who brought you out from the land of Egypt. He's calling them, reminding them, don't you see that you were the ones who were oppressed and now you're the oppressor? Suppression is evil. There's no way around it. This oppression is evil. And uh, since we're already talking about things that will get me fired, let's just keep going and talk about slavery. Why is it evil? All men, all women, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all made. You are all made in the image of God. You see in Genesis chapter 1. So God created him in his own image. In his own image. In his image he created them. Both male and female. He created them. God made Adam and Eve and all of humanity in the image of God. And so we are to bow to him. We are to worship him. We are the ones who are to obey him. Bowing our knees before our sovereign king. But something went horribly wrong. Adam and Eve, they didn't want to bow their knee to the sovereign king. They wanted to seek to define good and evil on their own terms. That is, they wanted to be sovereign over what was happening rather than obeying the sovereign king. If we refuse to bow our knees to the sovereign king and we sought to subject others under our sovereignty. So what's really going on at slavery? Why is it so evil? At the root of it all, what's happening with slavery and other forms of oppression is idolatry. Not that we would bow at the feet of an idol. No, no, no. But that we will take the sovereign rule of God and claim it for ourselves and others will bow to us as their idol. It's far worse than idolatry and you bowing down to others. No, you want them to bow down to you as if you were God. So, what are you doing? You're living out this original sin over and over and over again. You are refusing to bow your knees before the sovereign God and you want others to bow to you. That's what's happening with slavery. That's what's happening with oppression and that's why it is evil. You are claiming to be God. That is evil at its core. So don't be surprised 
when the Bible is the only one that can show us the roots of oppression, that the Bible is the only one that can show us the hope and, and the way out and the way to end it. And so with, we see that this oh, idolatry and oppression, they're hand in hand. They can't be su- they can't be uncoupled or separated. And so we have that the world will always have its response, though. But this false worship, well, let's talk about that. So we have this false worship. They can't be uncoupled. So in that, in that realm, they continue in the sins of Jeroboam the first, and they have this, this false worship. They have the Asherah pole, which is the god of sex, and the ball to, the ball to Baal. And they have their uh, golden calves in the temple, and they have Moloch as well. Remember the god who, well, the rabbinic canometator, he writes it this way. This is a rabbi writing his commentary in the book of Jeremiah, and he describes Moloch, which is what they would participate in. He said, Moloch, which was made of brass, they heated him from his lower parts, and his hands being stretched out are made hot, and they put children between his hands, and they were burned. And the children vehemently cried out, the priest beat the drum that the father and the mother might not hear the voice of their son and have their hearts turned. That was then. But thankfully, this is, this is only now. But whoa, wait, we do have a temple in this city. Perhaps you've seen the buildings downtown. It's a temple to science in which we do sacrifice children for idolatry. For the idolatry of ourselves and for convenience, we will sacrifice our children. Don't be blind to what's going on around you. Don't be blind to what's going on around you. So these prophets, they're not just crazy men with amazing beards crying out against the sins of 2,700 years ago. No, they are speaking to us today and to us now with amazing clarity. Amazing clarity. And so the world, they have their response to this. They, the world will see this oppression, and what do they do? The oppressed becomes the oppressor. You see this empire after empire. Those in the southern tribes are oppressing those in the northern tribes. During the day of Solomon, they rebel, and the oppressed become the oppressor. The Assyrians oppress the Babylonians. The Babylonians come along and oppress the Assyrians. The Persians are oppressed by the Babylonians. They come along and oppress the Babylonians onto the Greeks, onto the Romans. And it goes on and on and on. But it's not only empires, it's even, it's even within classes of people. You see this in the, in the Russian Revolution. You see this happening within our current political debates. You see, Vladimir Lenin, uh, about 115 years ago, wrote this pamphlet. It was called what is to be done? And Vladimir Lenin, who leader of the Russian Revolution, writes this. We are marching into a compact group along a precipitous and a difficult path, holding firm to each other's hands. We are surrounded on all sides by enemies and we have to advance almost constantly under their fire. We have combined by a freely adopted decision for the purpose of fighting the enemy. And this is what the world has, is that the oppressed becomes the oppressor. 
the bourgeoisie are oppressing, they say the proletariat, so now they say the proletariat will oppress the bourgeoisie. Oh, and along the way, tens of millions of people die. This is the only recourse of the world to end. As this injustice. This is what social justice will get you. That's why we want gospel justice. And they, they will give you this false gospel, this false paradigm. It's not going to be sin and grace, mercy and love. No, their false gospel is the paradigm of the oppressed and the oppressor. That's the gospel. So you want hope in the world? You just become the oppressor. Whatever it takes, you're justified. You're justified in doing it. Therefore, as one of you taught me this week, to seek social justice, to fight for it, without the gospel, is a waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Empires will fall before they learn this truth. So what do we do? As Christians, what do we do? We're going to have two applications here. The first and then the second is going to be built on the first. The first one is that you see this oppression requires action. First, we see Amos traveling north, going through Jerusalem, going into another country, to standing outside of their temple and decrying what they're doing. We would look at him now as someone who's probably a fanatic, someone who's unrefined in the modern ways of evangelism. But there he is, being faithful to what God has called him to do. So if the gospel is true, my friend, we, you, cannot stand idly by as we see the oppression in the world around us. Amos is calling them earlier in chapter 5. He says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice at the gate. It may be said that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Someone who did this well is William Wilberforce, who many of you know. He saw the injustice of entire economies and men becoming wealthy on the backs and through the lives of slaves. And he ended this slave trade in the most, uh, most un-American way. He did it without firing a shot, actually. Yes, you can, for the record, end slavery without fighting a war. And through social action and being engaged in Parliament, he brings an end to the slave trade. So that men who are made in the image of God might retain their dignity that is given to them by God not have it stolen by someone else. Money. Something that's going to burn up. And he would give these amazing, prolific speeches in, in one of the lines when he's before Parliament. And he tells them of the evils that is going on. He pulls the curtain open so everybody can see. And he said, you can choose to look the other way. But never again can you say that you never knew. That is you, my friends. Don't look the other way. When you see it happening, do something about it. 
The gospel, if the gospel is true, it compels you to action. By nature, it will compel you to action. If the gospel is true. So what that action is, let's go back to the text. And see what it, what does it look like to love for gospel justice. Go to verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We see here in the previous verses that God is not impressed. Actually, He hates, He detests their false worship. But what does He want instead? Okay, we, I don't like that. What, what do you want? Well, He wants justice. And He wants justice to roll down like waters. And He wants righteousness. He wants it to flow, never-ending, like a flowing stream. That sounds great. What does it even mean? What does it mean, though? Sounds cool. What does it mean? Uh, so you have this, this justice in verse 24 in the Mishpah. It's a really common word. It's used over 400 times in the Old Testament. Basically, the character of God reflected in His standards and how they are to live that out. So how are the people of God to reflect the, the nature and the character of God? That's, that's justice. When you're living out in such a way that it reflects the nature and the character of God. So you see this in Deuteronomy 24. You shall not per, uh, pervert the justice, this mishpat, due to the sojourn or the fatherless or the widow or take the widow's garment and pledge. So God cares for the sojourn or the one traveling without a home. God cares for the orphan. God cares for the widows. God cares for them, thus it expected that we will care for them as well as we live out the justice of God. James, brother of Christ, he puts it this way. Chapter 1, he said, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Don't turn a blind eye. To visit the orphans and the widows in their inflection, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You're engaging in the world, but you're not stained by the world. That is the justice of God. And it's this justice that these statutes of God that are to roll out like waters, to bring this change so that all of the evil will be swept aside and moved away as the justice and the nature, the character of God comes forth through His people. And then we, so you see this, this Hebrew parallelism, this poetry going on in verse 24. Justice like wa- rolling waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So we have this, this righteousness, or zadakah. And it has the idea of being in right or in proper relations with someone else. So with us and God, it happens through believing or through faith. Abraham believed. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So that's how we have our our proper relationship with God. It's it's this restoring of a relationship, even though there's a vast difference, obviously, between God and between us. It's restored through righteousness, through through this faith. And we have this, this state of equality and righteousness. So when it's done through faith with us and God, through believing with us and others, as we seek to restore this, it's done through the gospel. 
that's how we live it out. And so when these two are combined, these two great pillars of justice and righteousness, living out the character of God, seeing the character of God, living that out and restoring relationships with other people, that's when you have both of these two great pillars of justice and righteousness coming together. So you see that in Jeremiah 22, the, right after he's telling them the Babylonians are going to come and wipe you guys clean, he tells them, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the sojourn, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Or as David would write in Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. As we reflect the nature and the character of God, as God has pursued you while you were living in your sin, while you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God has pursued you and called you and brought you to justice and righteousness back to himself. That is naturally what we do as Christians to those around us. What if God was just comfortable with Himself? Which He is, but, and He didn't pursue you. Don't let that be the mark of your Christian life, is that you will not press in into the world, yet remain, as James says, unstained by the world. As we know, this will only come through Christ. As, I, as Isaiah writes in chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Gospel justice. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, So you see, the kingdom of God is coming down as we studied in Matthew. Who is Jesus associating with and bringing in? The tax collectors and prostitutes, everybody else who's marginalized by society, the poor fishermen, bringing them in. That is the structure, the backbone, the kingdom of God. That's what we see Isaiah prophesying is going to happen in Chapter 9 here. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This justice and this righteousness, it can only come through Christ and Christ alone. Christ alone is the one who has been oppressed in a way that none of us can understand. So in your oppression... Don't believe this false narrative, this false gospel of the culture. In your oppression, as you're being oppressed, look to Christ. Look to Christ and Christ alone. For in Him there is a balm that can heal your soul. Not just change your position in relation to others. No, but heal your soul from within. And so for the oppressed and for the oppressor, the answer is the same. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the house of Israel, Amos chapter 5, Seek me. Seek 
me. Seek after Christ, my friends. Seek me and live. Do not go after Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Do not cross over to Beersheba or Gilgal. And you sure you go in there, you will surely go into exile. Don't believe in the false gospel. This false narrative, he's telling them, you can go to these other cities and be safe. No, no, no. Don't believe in this false gospel that culture will present to you. No, no, no. Seek the Lord. See in verse 6, chapter 5. Seek the Lord and live. So, in, in closing, I hope, I pray, that this is not a, a message of burden to you, but rather one of hope. One of hope. As you look around and you see the injustice of people around you, I hope you're not led to despair, my friend. As we talked about earlier with two applications, the second one building upon the first. And this is the, the beauty of the Christian life, is that the Gospel leads you into action. So as you look around, and either you have two responses probably, either you look around and you go, what could I possibly do? It's, it's too great. What can I do? I've raised six kids. What could I possibly do? Or, you're wired like me, and you want a revolution. You want to storm the citadel, tear down the empire. For those two people, the answer is the same. Love. Love your neighbor. This is gospel justice. Loving your neighbor. God has placed you where you are. Love your neighbor. So the command is all the same. Whatever you can do, wherever God has you, love your neighbor. So if you're like our family and you're in Germany during the 30s and the last century and you see the rise of Hitler, this literally could have done it. But they could, and they did, love their neighbor, shelter those whom they could. Or if you want a revolution, the only way it's going to last is if it is in love. If it's a revolution of serving and loving your neighbor, that will cause a revolution. And you guys, you guys are amazing at this. I hope you see this. We were rejoicing in the about this in the office this week, about all of the ways you guys are doing this. Even though the world is decaying around us, you guys live this out in love very faithfully. The fatherless, the motherless, they're brought in. They're not just given clothing, they're not just given food, but no, they're brought into your homes. They're made, as Miles was this week, and part of your own family. Loving the orphans. You're taking them into your home. You're speaking and you're teaching the refugees and you're helping them understand that they're refugees not because they've left their other country, but no, they're actually sojourners and strangers in search of a true home. Not only that, you bring in young men of other faiths into your home so they can see the Gospel lived out. And all of its beauty and all of its brokenness within our homes, they're able to see that in hopes that someday they may repent and turn from their sins. You guys are the revolution. You guys are the revolution. You guys are the ones who are loving for social justice, 
so that both the oppressors and the oppressed, both of them, might see the righteousness and the justice of God. And it is through you, my friends, that justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we long, we long to be a people that lives out the commands that you have before us, God. Could you open our eyes to the world around us? Could you give us the eyes to see the brokenness as you see the brokenness, God? Let us not be like the northern Israelites who just live and enjoy the success of the land, God. Pray that we would rejoice in your good hand that it has been given to us, but that we would use it for your glory, God. Let us see the marginalized. Let us see the gleaners out in the field after all the successful men and women have gone through scraping by, God. Let us see how they are made in the image of God. They are broken. Broken before you because that is us. That is us as we are broken before you, God. And so as you had mended us through your Son, I pray that you would use us as your faithful servants to bring forth gospel justice to this city. Amen.